Red light. Probably seen it. Uh, we need to record a, a, a CD and then sell them or give them away to be a blessing to people. Now, that's, that'd be great when you said, you come to three services in a row, we'll give you a CD. That'd be, good. That'd be an encouragement, wouldn't it? That's what we need to do. So thank you, Linda. Thank you, Jan, for all you all do. Um, sermon today is entitled, Disciples of Jesus Must Know the Cost. It's in Luke chapter 14, if you turn your Bibles there. How many of y'all know our mission statement? Y'all know it? Covenant Baptist Church mission statement is to share God's word with all people and to lead them to follow Jesus. And you can break this statement down into two parts. The first part, to share God's word with all people, that's outreach. It's to go and share with the world. The second part, to lead them to follow Jesus as discipleship. And today I want us to focus and spend a little bit of time talking about that second part of that mission statement. We are to be followers of Jesus Christ, and we are to be his disciples. And we are to help each other and to encourage each other in our growth to become closer to him. The call of discipleship is defined throughout all the Bible. But in Luke chapter 14, it defines a disciple as someone who has surrendered to Christ, someone who has an undivided heart that is completely dedicated to loving the Lord. That's what we need to be. If we're going to live that mission statement, that's what has to happen. The call to discipleship is a call to leave the world behind and to follow Jesus. The mark of a true believer is summed up in surrender to Christ, and this shows up in how a person lives his life. The word, word disciple means pupil or student who takes the ideas of their teacher and makes them their life and their message to share. And Jesus just isn't giving us his ideas to learn. He's given us a, a life uh, to be our example of how he wants us to live. And we must follow him because the ultimate goal is to be like Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus, so we must know the cost. So let's read Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 35. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his mother, his father, his, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doeth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first to count and counteth the cost, whether he have, he have sufficient to finish it, least aptly after have, have laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that, be, all that behold it, began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulted whether he, is, he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, whether uh, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador, ambassador 
to desire conditions for peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not, his, not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, uh, nor yet for the dunghill, but, cast, but men cast it out. He that hath ears, let him hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Father, for uh, your words. Father, the, Jesus told us exactly what a disciple was and what he expects. And Father, let us now look at it and examine the cost. And realize, Father, we don't just jump into something, Father. We have to know what was expected of us and, and what must be given in order for us to succeed and be what you want us to be. And Father, help us to understand that this is so important now. This is not something we can pick and choose or decide. You've called all people who believe in you to be disciples, to follow you, to be like your son, Father, to, to be what you want us to be, to be the salt, Father, so people can see that a life without Christ is no life at all, but a life with Christ is eternal life forever. Father, help us to do that today. Father, touch our hearts, open our minds and our spirits to you. Make us receptive to your word and realize that this is you speaking to us. And Father, take my words out of my mouth and just fill me with what you want me to say. For it's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. These are some hard words. There is a cost to discipleship. Now, salvation is free, but to follow our Lord Jesus, there is a cost to pay. And in our text today, the crowds were following Jesus. He was at the height of his ministry and the height of his popularity. But he didn't water down his teachings. He didn't, he didn't change his language. His language is shocking. But he needs us to understand what it means to be his disciple. To understand that all believers are called to follow Jesus Christ full time. Knowing all Jesus has done to give us salvation... How can we not follow him with all of our heart all the time? But identifying with Jesus is not easy. The world hates him, and it will hate his disciples. And we can't water down the gospel to gain more followers. When the Lord Jesus calls you to follow him, he's not inviting you to share in his popularity. He's inviting you to share in his ridicule and scorn. It's hard, ain't it? It's not what we want to hear. It costs to serve Jesus, but it is worth it. So we're going to look at some of the costs of being a disciple. First, we must see the cost of worship. Look at verse 26 again. It says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. Wow. hard to read that, isn't it? Now, these are the words of Jesus Christ here. You can't just take that and say, well, he didn't really mean that. He, he, that ain't what he meant. He, he, didn't, he didn't mean to say it like that. Uh, he, he, meant, uh, he meant we just need to love him a little bit more or something, but he, he, we can love everybody. But we have to understand, these are the words of Jesus Christ, and, 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 and Jesus is, is, first of all, above everything, including all of our personal relationships. 
Now, this verse calls us to hate our father, mother, spouse, children, brother, even ourselves. But how can this be when Jesus taught us to love? Well, Jesus here is not saying that we can break his commandments and not love others. And he's not telling us to, to hate our families. And what he's telling us here is that we need to love him more than we love others. The word hate here, used in this verse, is used also in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where it says, No man can serve two masters, he, he, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He says right there, you'll either hate one and love the other. The word hate is used to mean choice. This passage is saying that Jesus Christ must come before any other personal relationship. In order for me to love my wife the way the Bible says, I have to love Jesus more. In order for me to love my children the way the Bible tells me to, I have to love Jesus more. I have to put him first in every relationship I have. That's the call of the disciple. The call of the disciple is for you to get your priorities straight and realize if there's anything in this world that you love more than Jesus Christ, then you have a problem. But when Jesus is number one in your life, then you are able to love others more than if you put him first. I tell my wife all the time, I said, you know, when we first got married, I didn't know I loved you. I, I didn't love you. I didn't know what love was. I cared more about what I wanted than what you wanted. It took a relationship with Jesus Christ for me to realize what love truly is. And to be his disciples, to worship God as we should, he must be first in all things. Jesus showed us this principle in his own life. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 47 through 450. The Bible says, Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brother stand without, desiring to speak to, with thee. But he answered and said unto him, that told him, this is Jesus' words, Who is my mother? And who are my brother? And he stretched forth his hands towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother, my sister, and mother. Jesus said, you need to get your priorities straight. You need to get your priorities straight in order to work for the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't come to die for some, he came to die for all. He didn't come to die for the good people. He came to die for sinners who hated him, who cursed him. And he died for them. Why? Because he had his priorities for He comes to the will of the Father. God's will must come first. Can you truly worship him if he isn't number one in your life? Verse 26 also says that Jesus must be greater than self. We can't love ourselves more than we love the Lord. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to uh, take yourself off the throne and know that that seat belongs to Jesus. There's a song by, um, I can't even think of the group now, Casting Crowns. And one, one of the verses, he says, there's, there's one throne and I ain't on it. The solid rock and I stand upon it. Talking about Jesus Christ is on that throne. How can we truly worship God and live for self? We can't just come to church and look for things that make us feel better about ourselves. We must be willing to 
put Jesus first, despite of our own reputations, our own fulfillment, and what others think. Look at verse 27. And whosoever doeth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The Lord says, pick up your cross. The cross is not a thing of beauty. It's not a trophy. It is an object associated with shame and reproach. In Mark, chapter 10, verses 21 and 22 says, And then Jesus, beholding him, uh, loved him and said, Thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad that, at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Jesus told him, go, sell everything you have, and then come follow me. And he couldn't do it. Why? Because he had so much. Jesus says, take up your cross. There's no fame. There's no worldly praise. There's no going to be riches here on earth. There's going to be no glory here. Take up your cross means the loss of families, a loss of friends, a loss of wealth, maybe a loss of a job. We only gain a world that will hate us because they hated Jesus Christ. But listen, and this is very important, you have to be willing to take it up. The cross is laying there. And so many of us just kind of walk around it and, and try to ignore it and just try to realize that uh, that's the elephant in the room we try not to talk about. But Jesus said, you can't ignore it. I went to the cross for you. I need you to take up your cross and follow me. The Lord doesn't force it on you. But how can we follow him unless we take it up? Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. To worship Jesus, we must follow him. Dr. A.W. Tozer said that it means three things when a person takes up their cross and is crucified with Christ. It means, first, he's facing only one way. Second, he's not going back. And third... He has no further plans of his own. Our last independent decision in this life must be to take up the cross and follow him. From that point on, you're on in the will of the Father. To worship God, your life must belong to Jesus Christ. Second, we must also know the cost of work. Look at verses 28 through 30. It says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have uh, sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he have laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and is not able to finish. In Jesus' time, uh, in, the, in the vineyard, they put a tower in the middle. And that tower was there to protect it so they could watch over the vineyard. But it's also so they could watch the vines to make sure it was fruitful. And we're called to build. And he has plans for our life. And we are to follow his plans and allow him to construct in us. 
Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident in this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God's working on you. He's building in you. But you have to be yielded to him. You have to allow the work to, you have to, to, to know the cost and what it's going to take to build in you. Our tower is spiritual and, and we are to lay aside our plans for God's work. Our construction takes sacrifice. You have to count the cost. There's no cheap way, no easy way, no lazy way. We are to work until it is complete. We cannot stop. Who decides to build a house and says, okay, let's build a house? And you start paying for it and you lay the foundation and you get it to the point where you, but you can't get it under roof because you run out of money. You must allow God in us and we can't stop. Sometimes we get to that certain point in our building and we just quit and walk away. If we'd done that to our house, people would laugh at us. Luke 9, 62 says, And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. The cost of building means you keep at it. You never stop. You allow God to move in your life. And you understand that he is working in you. The cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is that we must never stop building. Continue to pray. Continue to study God's Word. Continue to serve. Continue to attend church. Continue to do the things He tells us to do in His Word. And when you realize the goal is to be like Christ, you must see that you can never stop because you'll never get to that goal. Sometimes we look at the work and say, it's just too much. It's too much for me to do, and we quit. Jesus here says, Know the cost and don't stop. Third, we must know the cost of battle. Look at verse 31 through 32. It says, Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great Way off, he sendeth an ambassador and desireth conditions of peace. When we follow Jesus Christ, we're following him into battle. There's a war, and we must be ready. And according to this passage, the odds are not in our favor, are they? And here it's two to one. But God is on our side. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, then who can be against us? We need to be warriors who are not afraid. We need to be willing to go to battle. Many Christians want to get out of this life unscarred or unscathed or uncriticized. Many don't want to witness because of what others might think or say or do. But we need warriors. Jesus right here says we're in a battle. We need warriors who are not willing to compromise. Our Lord Lord makes the point here that if we... uh, don't count the cost, then when the battle gets thick, we'll send an ambassador to try to, to, to bargain peace. Well, that'd be wonderful, but we know who the enemy is. The enemy isn't the lost. The enemy isn't this world. The enemy is Satan, and there's no bargaining with him. There's no negotiating with Satan. We must be ready for his attacks, because that's what he wants to do. He wants us to, to think that there's another way besides staying in the battle. But God says, prepare for the battle. Ephesians chapter 6. 
Verse 11 through 13, it says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against the flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil days, and having done all to stand. Satan's attacking Satan's not wanting to negotiate. He's wanting to put an end to our ministry, put an end to your testimony, put an end to your service to Jesus Christ. He wants to take all his disciples and make them non-effective with the gospel. There's no substitute for victory over the devil. There's no compromise of sin. Look at verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Often we tell the Lord that hey, we'll, give you, we'll give him something. Say, Lord, we'll do this. Lord, if you give us this, we'll do this. He doesn't want something from you. We say we will give God control if, if, if this happens or if this is going on. We'll give him control of this part of our life or, 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 or this part. But God doesn't want you to give him control. God demands control. He says, I'm demanding control of your life. Don't you give me nothing. I don't want your scraps. I don't want whatever you're willing to let go of while you hold on to your sin and hold on to those things that you keep for yourself. He says, I demand complete control over you. He deserves it. You can't make deals with God. And if there's any part of your life that doesn't belong to him, then you cannot be his disciple. The Lord wants soldiers burning in their passionate love for Jesus Christ who count the cost of battle. He says, I want you ready and willing and able. I like these shows where these uh, like CSIs and stuff like that, these crime shows. For some reason, I like those. And it seems like in every one of them, they got a, a go bag. So every time, they might get a call and say, you've got to go to Beirut. You've got to go to England. You've got to go someplace. They've got to go back. They grab their bag, and they're gone. All right? Well, Christians need to have a go bag. Because we need to be ready to go whenever he tells us to go. We need to be ready to go into the battle when he tells us to. There's no this waiting and saying, okay, well, wait a minute, not now, wait, not now. i got too much going on. He's looking for soldiers who know the cost of battle. And finally, we must know the cost of the witness. Look at verse 34 and 35. It says, salt is good, but if the salt have lost its savior, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So the children know that God wants them to be salt. It's true. He wants us all to be salt. But this is more serious for us. So I want you to understand what I said there. It said that if the salt loses its savor, then they cast it out. It ain't fit for the land. It ain't fit for the dunghill. It ain't fit for the men just cast it out. So if we're a church and we say we live for God, but the world sees us not living for God all the time, but living for God part of the time, then we are useless. They cast us out. We're not fit for the land. We're not fit for the dunghill. We're not fit for nothing because they look at our lives and see that the actions don't match the words. (coughs) 
The Lord speaks about our commission here. We are called to be salt of the earth, which means we are his witnesses on this earth. Saul speaks of witness and testimony. It is something very valuable that we can lose. The properties of salt show us the cost of our witness. And there's so many, you you look up salt and see what salt's good for, but I wrote down a few of them here. Salt preserves. I like the fact that Jesus uh, called uh, fishermen to be his disciples because they didn't have refrigeration back then. They had to take that, that fish and salt it to preserve it. They knew what it meant to, to put, this, put the fish in salt to keep it from rotting so that they could keep it for longer periods of time. America needs the preserving salt of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our problem is saltless saints. I'm telling you, church, we're, we're failing. On our watch, families are falling apart. Standards are lower. We have sins that no longer bother us. We're allowing this world to spin out of control, even though we know the answers and we have the testimony. Too many times the church looks like the world and the world looks like the church and you can't tell the difference and there's no salt. It ain't fit for the dunghill. God says, what testimony do you have if you've lost your Savior? Amen. Matthew uh, 5.13, I read the children. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its Savior, wherewith it shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. I don't know about you, but when I go out and tell someone about Jesus Christ, I don't want them to throw it down and stomp it underground and say, that don't mean nothing to me. I want them to understand that, that, that what I'm telling them is not my words, but God's words. And that's the most important thing they'll hear that day, is that Jesus Christ loved them enough to die on the cross for them, that he's given them the eternal life if they just believe in him and, and follow him. That's not nothing. That's everything. Salt also flavors. I talked about the popcorn and the chips and Lalo's tomatoes. There's something... You have to ask yourself right now, is there something about your life that is different? Is there a zeal in your life? Why would someone look at you and want your faith? Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be seasoned with grace, grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Church, there's so many people walking around. And they're dead. They're dead on the inside. They're dead on the outside. They're just going through this world. They think nobody cares about them and nobody loves them. They have no joy. They have no hope. They have nothing to look forward to. They're just plotting out time until they're off of this world, not realizing that there's an eternal life, either heaven or hell. And they're just, they don't know. And if they don't see us, and I see our, I see that our words are seasoned with grace, that we come to them with love of Jesus Christ and we share with them the gospel and say, listen, someone does love you enough to die for you, to give you eternal life. If they can't look at us and see a need for Jesus Christ, then where will they look to see it? Our lives should reflect our wonderful relationship with Jesus that shows the world this is what they need. Salt also heals. Salt is an antiseptic and it heals. And our world is sick, and it's in need of salty Christians. The salt of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ 
It heals hearts. It, 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 it heals uh, broken hearts, broken hopes, broken homes, broken lives. Church, we need to be disciples of Jesus Christ because we have the message of hope that will, that will heal this world. Salt also burns. It stings when you rub it into an open wound. And we are, give, we are going to irritate some people. It's okay. If there's no irritation, then we've lost our saltiness. If there's no offense, there's no effect. Not everyone will love us, but everyone will hear the gospel message. Matthew 10, 22-24 says, And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth unto the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall uh, not, not shall not shall have gone over the city of uh, Israel until the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. I don't know why we get in our head that we can go through this world and, and the world not hate us. Are we above our master? It hated him. It hated Jesus Christ, so why wouldn't it hate us? Maybe it's because we don't have the same message that he had. The gospel is not what the world wants to hear, but it's the truth. And they need a Savior, or they'll be lost and die in their sins. Salt also penetrates. It penetrates all that's put on it, that it's put on. The problem we have in our churches today is that we've gotten really good about salting the salt. I think that's what I'm doing today. I'm pretty sure most of, you, most of y'all are believers or children of God. I'm just salting the salt. Jesus didn't say, you're the salt of the church. He said, you're the salt of the earth. We must go out. The first part of our mission statement. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world. We must go into our communities. The reason why Christians are ridiculed and made fun of is because we've lost our saltiness. You have to know the cost of your witness. Church, we have to ask ourselves this morning, do you want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Listen, we need to do more we can to encourage each other, to build up the faith, to, to edify the saints, to help us to be the disciples that God wants us to be. If you want to be his disciple, you've got to know the cost of worship and the cost of work, the cost of battle, the cost of being a witness for him. To truly be useful, a disciple of Jesus Christ, the cost must be paid to give him complete control. So what is the cost of discipleship? He wants us to be crucified with him. He wants us building on our faith. He wants us to understand there's conflict or battle coming. And he wants, to be, uh, wants us to guard our witness. Because once you lose it, it's hard to get it back. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Church, are you the disciple that you want to be? Are you the disciple that God wants you to be?